I'm really excited about this, this month together. We're going to be talking about God came near. What is this thing we call the incarnation? This central event. This is the core of our Christian faith. This is what it's all about. Old Testament promise, New Testament fulfillment meet together here. Nothing else is possible if this incarnational reality were not true. The problem is, it's difficult for us to get a handle on. I've been spending several weeks now waiting around in this, and it's, it's difficult for us to try to get a handle on. We are unable to get a handle on this fully. It has been said that truth must necessarily, truth about God must necessarily be stranger than fiction. For fiction is the creation of the human mind, and therefore is congenial to the human mind. The human mind gets along with fiction. The human mind works well with what is not true because what is not true is often the invention of our own human minds. And it fits with our experience of humanity, unfortunately. All forms of fiction are, are, are of invention, no matter how skillfully or creatively or compellingly put together, they are all have their origin in human ingenuity and imagination. Truth on the other hand, and especially truth about God, has no such origin or limitations. Truth is not bound within the confines of our imagination or comprehension. So truth will indeed often be bigger than us, more than we can take in. An example of this last couple of nights of Christmas jazz that I used, uh, the, that uh, my, my older grandson is two years old. And just about a week or so ago, they couldn't wait. They, 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 after he went to bed, they set up the Christmas trees. They don't have a really big place, but they set up two trees. They couldn't, some of you can't decide. White lights, colored lights, they couldn't either, so they have one of each. Two trees. All right. So, so little Michael, they bring him downstairs the next morning, and he's standing in front of this tree, and he's just like, what is it? It's beautiful. Where did it come from? How did it get into my home? He doesn't understand what this is, what it means, what it's about. All of that is beyond him, but he stands there in wonder, trying to take it in. And that is us as we consider the reality of the incarnation, God in flesh. Wonder where that term came from? Have you ever had chili con carne? It's chili with flesh. It's just Latin. I don't know Latin. I just know that much, the chili thing, okay? Incarnation is God incarnate, in flesh. God came in humanity. That's, that's simple enough. I, please do not leave here thinking that I compared God to chili. That is not the point I want you to get this morning, but that part of it, the labeling of it, we can get. That's why we label things, to put it in terms that we can understand, but this is so much bigger than that. There's more here that we can't understand because the truth of it is stranger than anything we could imagine. This is why thoughtful people that you know have a genuinely hard time grasping and believing the gospel. They find the gospel, the truth about God in Jesus, they find that difficult to understand and to believe. How could it be 
that Jesus could really do those miracles because miracles, by definition, we can't explain how it could be. How could it be that his death takes the place of others and results in others' forgiveness? How could his broken and battered and lifeless body be raised gloriously immortal? Isn't it more reasonable to believe that the body was stolen? In order for his disciples to be able to perpetuate a myth so that people would continue to follow the good teachings of this very good man. That's more reasonable for us. And in our experience in humanity, that lines up the idea of deceptions and things not quite being truly what they appeared to be. That lines up with our experience in humanity. We live in a broken world, unfortunately, that often overpromises and underdelivers. And so even especially at times like Easter and Christmas, when we'll pause for a minute and revel in and delight ourselves in the overpromise, we actually still too often expect God to underdeliver. The reality is, God will overdeliver. We do not fully understand all that it is that God has given us and promised us in what he has done when God himself came near. Truth is indeed stranger than fiction. The same way that the ways of God are, are higher than the ways of men as far as the heavens are above the earth. We could no longer fully grasp God than I can reach up and grab the highest star, even the lowest star. And bring it down to earth and unpack it. That is beyond us as the ways of God are beyond us. This is not new. This has always been true. In fact, the, the foundational core of the Old Testament, the Torah, the Torah in, in Deuteronomy chapter 29 and verse 29, it, it says this, that the secret things belong to the Lord our God. The secret things, the mysterious things, the hidden things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, so that we may do all the words of this law. Moses writing for Israel. Now there's three things in there that we could catch. First of all, that God reveals himself. In fact, God must reveal himself. All that can be known of God must be revealed by God. And what God reveals to us will not be all of God, but he will reveal himself to us. There's much that we do not know. God reveals himself to us. And the things that he reveals to us are not only for us, but they're for us to share with others even to teach to our children. And that the knowing of God is in some way doable. The knowing of God is experiential. It enters into our life. And our life can be lived in ways that experience a relationship with God, not only know about it. All of that tucked into Deuteronomy 29. How does God reveal himself? How could God reveal himself to humanity? I'm reminded of a story where Billy Graham was talking to one of his sons. I don't know if it was Franklin, one or the other. They had, had uh, accidentally disturbed an anthill. And the ants are scurrying all about like ants and people do when things haven't gone right, right? And, and, and the home is a mess and they're scurrying all around trying to find, A, something to do about it, something to do, and somebody to blame for it and bite, right? Ants are more like people than I realized. I was just thinking that through. But, but, 
Billy Graham explained to his son that how could we help these ants? There's no way that we can communicate that only if we could become an ant could we visit among them and explain to them who we are and what we're about. Well, God is not a human and we are not ants, but that, that idea that God would somehow reveal himself to us in human terms that human could, humans could grasp, expressed by the writer to the Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 1 this way. Long ago and in many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, Old Testament, but in these last days he has spoken to us in his Son whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He, the Son, is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the exact imprint of his nature. And he, the Son, is the one who upholds all things, all things, by the word of his power. What does that mean, that that Jesus is the exact imprint of God's nature? It doesn't mean that Jesus is like a plaster cast of the real thing. It doesn't mean that that Jesus is a well-made replica. It's that Jesus is the expression of the reality of God. God has revealed himself in God the Son who came near to us. Open the Gospel of John, chapter 1. And even as you're opening there, we'll have the verse on the screen as well, but I want you to, if you have a, have a Bible open, you, could, you can look at that right in front of you, follow along as we point out a few things there. But even before we do that, this is more than we can know. Let's pray. Father, would you, by your Spirit, open our minds to see things here from your Word about your Son and therefore about you that are beyond us. Lord, as the psalmist said so long ago, open our eyes that we would behold wonderful things, things about you from your word. And Lord, help us to, not unlike a two-year-old, help us to see it in wonder and awe, even worship. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 1. This is, this is John's nativity. Now, you're familiar with Matthew's nativity and Luke's nativity. The angel appears to Mary. The angel appears to Joseph. They travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And the angelic announcement, unto us a child is born. A Savior, Christ the Lord. Well, this is John's nativity. It reads a little differently. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And apart from Him, there was not anything made that was made. And the Word became flesh, verse 14, and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. We beheld His glory. The glory is the only Son, the only son or the unique one, the only begotten. That's what that word begotten means, the unique Son of God from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 18, no one has seen God at any time. The only God or the only begotten God, the unique expression of God who is at the Father's side, he has revealed him. He has declared him. He has made him known. 
What's in this verse? These, this, this handful of verses, this collection out of John chapter 1, verses 1 to 18, the prologue of John's gospel. The word was in the beginning when only God was. This word, this expression, the Greek word logos, the expression of God always was. It wasn't something God created one day to express himself. The word always was. In the beginning was the word. It's a playoff of Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, the word. The word was with God. So he is distinct from God. There are multiple persons being introduced here. In the beginning, there's God. And in the same beginning, all the way to the beginning, there is the word, the expression of God. He is distinct from God, whom John calls the Father. So we have the Father, we have the Word, or the Son, the Word that became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word was and is God in essential nature. The Word is the creator of all things. Don't say that, that God the Father created the Son and then the Son created everything else because there's not anything else that was created that the Son did not create. So everything that was made, the Son made. So the Son himself cannot be created, cannot be made because he made everything that was made. Nothing was made that the Son didn't make. You get it? We're going in circles. I'm sorry. The word logos, Greek word logos, the expression, the revelation of God. God in a knowable, comprehensible person. The word is the one who lived among us. He dwelt among us. Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus. God moved into our neighborhood. He tabernacled among us. And yes, that word is a play off the same word that is used in the Old Testament when God had a tabernacle, a dwelling among his people. The glory of God was physically present among his people. And it became in much fuller definition, but just as much the presence of God. The glory of God at one point in the Old Testament left the temple. The glory of God, the very person of God in Jesus Christ returns to that temple in Jerusalem in the first century. It's an exciting play of fulfilling the whole picture of what's going on, but I'm distracting you again. I'm sorry. Jesus is the expression of God's being, God that we can see, the radiance of his glory, the exact impress of his image into human form. In, in Colossians 1, Paul expresses it this way. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He's the visible of the invisible. For in him, in Jesus, all of the fullness, he is not in any way less than God, for all the fullness of the Godhead dwelt bodily. I cannot wrap my mind around that. How is that possible within the confines of humanity? Let me give you one example of that. When Jesus, in, in Philippians chapter 2, he steps down from heaven and humbled himself and took upon himself humanity. He laid aside the prerogatives of deity so that when Jesus says, no one knows the, the, uh, the timing of the coming of the, of the Son and, and the establishing of the kingdom, only the Father only, he He's not saying by not knowing that he's less than God. He is saying that he has laid aside his prerogative as God to know things as God, 
to exert power as God so that every miracle Jesus does, he only does by the Spirit working through him. The life that Jesus lives in real humanity, he lives the same way that you live. The same way that you would live for God by the presence of God in his Spirit in our humanity. That's how Jesus lived. But that's, that's another message. Sorry, I'm getting distracted again. There's more here than I can grab. I feel like I've been waiting around in the deep end. Don't, as you, as you contemplate this, and as we talk about this over the next several weeks, if sometimes you feel like my head's going to explode, there's more here than I can get, that's exactly where I'm at. So if sometimes I sound confused, I probably am. This truth is stranger than any fiction I could imagine. And yet we have got to stand before it in wonder and awe and try to grab whatever out of it that we can. Jesus is God in flesh, makes God known to us. The only begotten Son in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. He makes God known to us in a way in humanity that we can know him. You heard me say before that the Son is God translated into humanity. And so Wesley's wonderful hymn, Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man, with men, to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel, God with us. The wonder of the incarnation, coming in human flesh, that God would stoop to humanity, that the creator would condescend to mortality. There's a wondrous mystery in that. Sometimes in, in American evangelical uh, thought, we're afraid of mystery. We want to put handles and tags on everything, and we miss something in the process. We need to be comfortable with a certain amount of mystery. Have you ever had somebody say, well, I could never believe in a God who? Well, you know, fill in that blank. Well, tell me then. I like to go this way. I'm just Henri. Tell me then, what kind of God could you believe in? And then they might describe, well, I, I, I would believe in a God who's like this and this and this and this and that. So that's wonderful. That's a wonderful God that you've made for yourself there. And that's what we've done. We, we want to define God on our terms in ways that we're able to comprehend and manage. God doesn't want to be managed. He doesn't want you to comprehend him. Whew. He does want you to know him. Okay? That's where we are. Think of it like a child and a parent. God our Father. Jesus uniquely. Jesus, when the Son comes and he introduces us, he's the one who introduces us to God as Father. That's not Old Testament. He's the one who introduces the, the Spirit, not merely as the Spirit of the Lord, but he introduces him as our helper, as our comforter, as our encourager in intimate relational terms. Jesus the Son has brought God near to us and in relationship with us. This wonder of all of this and this, this God in humanity and the, and the pulling that together expressed beautifully in some lines of an old English hymn we don't sing anymore by H.R. Bramley. I've given you these lines on the back of your sermon notes insert. So if you want to go back and look at some of the references later, you want to look at these lines later, I, I encourage you to do that. Talk them through with somebody. A babe on the breast of a maiden he lies yet sits with the Father on high in the skies. Before him their faces the seraphim hide. 
while Joseph stands waiting, unscared, at his side. A wonder of wonders which none can unfold. The Ancient of Days is an hour or two old. The maker of all things is made of the earth. Man is worshipped by angels. And God comes to birth. How can it be? I don't know. And yet it is. We want to know God. Faithful and accurate thinking about God must begin with Jesus. The problem is natural man cannot understand or comprehend the things of God. They're spiritually discerned by the enlightening of God's Holy Spirit. We need to know God more fully than we are able to. And so we are fully dependent on God in order to know God. We will not go know God unless God reveals himself to us, and he has, by the Son, by the Spirit. I should say that. Technically correct, God has revealed himself in the Son by the Spirit. Matthew chapter 11. Also Luke chapter 10. Both of them record Jesus' words the same way, where Jesus himself says, No one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. They have a unique relationship, a knowing, experiential, relational together that nobody else was a part of. No one knows the Father but the Son. No one knows the Son except the Father and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. That's the purpose of the Son, to bring us into that relationship. So Jesus' disciples express that desire. John chapter 14, Philip says, Lord, show us the Father and that's enough for us. Jesus says, have I been with you so long and still, Philip, you don't know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. The Son is the Father translated into humanity. And if God the Father is only then rightly known through God the Son, how then is it possible for you and I to know him today? Pause there just for a moment. The disciples had Jesus among them in their midst. He dwelt with them. He became flesh and dwelt with them, and him we do not have. How can we then know God if we haven't seen, handled the Son? The Spirit continues Jesus' work of showing us the Father through the Son. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I think I also have that on the slide. 1 Corinthians. It says 2 Corinthians. That's because Bob is fallen, depraved, sinful. Everything that he does is some way messed up just a little bit. You look at me like that for you are too. That's why we need Jesus. Okay. First Corinthians chapter two. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. The Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. The Spirit is not intimidated by the incarnation the way that I am. Who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. And the Spirit who knows God fully, the Spirit who fully comprehends God is the Spirit of Christ, as Paul also names him, the Spirit who indwells those who have believed in Jesus. Those who believe that Jesus is the Son sent from the Father, that we might know and be restored into relationship with God, that those are the ones in whom the Spirit comes and makes his dwelling with us. The gospel is not merely about a plea bargain. 
The gospel is not merely a change in destination or eternal address. I don't have to live there. Now, because of Jesus, I can live here. I was guilty, but Jesus has worked a deal with the prosecutor, so now, even though I was guilty, I get off scot-free. That is not the gospel. The gospel includes our full forgiveness in the Son. It includes our full restoration, the removal of any shame and guilt, and a full standing before God in Christ because he himself came into humanity and brought us in humanity back into relationship with God again. The gospel is about a restored relationship with God through the Son by the Spirit that continues. It's already started for anyone who has believed in the Son, and it continues into eternity. That is the gospel. Look what God has done. God came near, not merely to show himself sometime in history, and we can take a trip to Israel next year, we can check out the places where it happened. God came near to be near, and for us to be near to him. That is the work of the Spirit within us. So the Old Testament, God says, let us make man in our image and our likeness. We can only understand God in Trinitarian terms. God is a plurality of, of, of one being in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. And the three are in relationship together, and the beauty of it is have brought us by the Son in his humanity, joined to our humanity, have brought us into that relationship. And you don't comprehend that right now. I can see the looks on your faces. That's okay. I don't either. Don't tell the elders, okay? Bad. No, we're going to step into that more in coming weeks. That aspect of how do we live in that relationship. But that is our new reality. Some would tell you that that whole Trinity thing, that's something the church invented along the way. No, it's not. The Trinity was terms that were used to answer wrong thinking about God that emerged in the 3rd and the 4th and the, and the 5th century. And so, so the doctrine was developed out of scriptures. People went back, what has God said about himself in contrast to what has begun to be imagined by men about God? And that's where the, where, where the doctrine at that time began to be crystallized in, quote, Trinitarian terms. But this is how God has revealed himself to us so that we can know him. God came into humanity in Jesus not to explain Trinitarian theology to us, but so that we would know God in his three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, in relation together so that we would have relationship with him. That knowledge of God is an entrance point. It's not the goal. Knowing God is relational in three persons is not the goal. That's the entrance point into our having relationship with God. John 10, our Lord describes his purpose in coming. He says, I came that they might have life and have that abundantly, to have life that they didn't have before, to have a whole different kind of life. What is life? He didn't come that you would have eternal life in the sense of eternal existing. Every human will exist forever. Something about our creation in the image of God is beyond our physical mortality. 
that there is a judgment and there is a future for everyone, but it is a future either separated from God forever or in fellowship and relationship with God forever, and that's what Jesus calls life. Death, on the other hand, is a separation from God forever. Life, Jesus says, this is life. When he's in, in conversation with his father there in the garden, in John chapter 17 and verse 3, he said, and this is life. I came that they'd have life, and this is life, that they would know you. They would know you as the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. God wants us to know him. That's the life he wants to have. Not a knowing about him, not a knowledge, but a knowing, relational, experiential knowing of God in the Son by the Spirit. Through the Son, we know the Father by the Spirit. The Spirit brings us into relational fellowship with the Father and the Son. Like I said, we're going to talk about more of that along the way, but, but again, looking into what is it that Jesus has said about himself and about God in John chapter 14 and verse 18. I think we have this on the screen. John 14, verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. He's not talking about his post-resurrection appearances here. He's talking about the presence of God now by the Spirit indwelling, living with those who are his. I'll not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live. And that day you will know that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Wait a minute, I'm confused. I thought Jesus went to heaven, and the Holy Spirit dwells within us. By the Spirit, the Son dwells within us. By the Spirit, that we and the Father have relationship together. Oh, we're just nibbling around the edges here. In that day you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. And whoever has my commandments and keeps them, it's he who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and show myself to him. God says there that we can step into. Remember I said earlier that the knowing of God and the way that he revealed himself was doable? even as expressed by commandments of the Old Testament, but that, that humans apart from the indwelling spirit were not able to keep. And Jesus says here that the knowing relationship with God is doable. It's something we step into, walking with him, doing the things that he says, not because I want to stay on God's good side. That so cheapens and caricatures and misses the point. Sometimes we think about the Christian life in terms of the things that I do and I don't do. My relationship with God is wrapped up in the things that I would do with him. Do you have re real relationship with somebody that you don't actually do things with? That's called Facebook. But real relationship is doing things, not just knowing about something that somebody else ate somewhere. Real relationship is doing things, it's face to face. It's, it's participating together in something. And that's what we live in as we walk with him in his ways. Jesus says, if anyone loves me, he'll keep my word and my father will love him and we'll come to him and we'll make our home with him. It's not merely about imparting facts, transmitting information about God. The Son of God came to share with us his, know, his knowledge, his knowing of the Father so that we could know the Father. He came to join us into that experiential relationship of the Father through the Spirit. 
To know God is to participate in the life and the love that the Father has for the Son by the Spirit in our worship, in our expression of love for the Son that the Spirit energizes within us. We are participating in a love relationship within the Trinity that God himself has brought us into. Worship. You feel sometimes your emotions getting carried away? Well, not so much. We're Baptists, but a little, a little, right? That, that is that we are meant to be just a little bit, not too much, but a little bit. We are meant to be carried away in worship by the Spirit. I know sometimes you see me, somebody said, I sometimes get carried away with music. I can't do any music myself, but I love the music, the worship, the song, the meaning, that verse, the word. I love it. And I'm carried away, and you'll see me moving to. They said, ah, because he was in Africa for too long. Maybe, but if that's so, go to Africa, okay? Because God caught, catches us into this relationship that maybe is something like when you did want to go to that high school dance with him or her. We want to be in relationship together. We want to invite others into that relationship. John describes it in his letter to a church, the elderly John, the old John, the patriarch John now writing to the church, another church in Asia. And this is what he says. First he talks about in John chapter, 1 John chapter 1 and verse 1, first incarnation, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, which we have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. That's Jesus. We knew him. We walked with him. We rubbed shoulders. He, 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 he patted me on the back. He put his arms around me once, probably a lot. That's what John's saying here. That life which was made manifest, we've seen it. And we testify and proclaim to you that eternal life which was with the Father and which was shown manifest to us. There's relationship here within the Godhead that spilled over from the Godhead into us as we were with him. And there's a shared fellowship that continues. Verse 3, that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you also may have fellowship along with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we're writing these things, inviting you into that fellowship, helping you grab hold of that fellowship with the Father and the Son too. We write these things for that so that, John says, our joy may be full. Now some Bible versions actually translate that so that your joy may be full. We want you to know the Father so that you also will have a fullness of joy. That makes more sense, but it's most likely not the original reading of the Greek text. The best manuscripts, the original reading is, we share these things with you so that our joy will be made full. What is that about? The son's joy was fullest in coming to you and I and showing to us the Father. Our joy in the son is best stepped into in the midst of showing our Father, His lovely Son, to others and inviting others into that same fellowship. That thrills us in the same way that that's what thrilled the Son. That our joy in the invitation would be full. I don't mean for this to be merely 
cognitive. I mean for this to be something that we can step into. How do I take a next step then in knowing God? Is it possible to take a step into knowing God as he would have us to know and to know something of God? How do I take a step into that? Well, first of all, if knowing God is through Jesus, the living word of God, whom God shows us by his spirit in this, as, as the spirit illuminates for us the written word of God. If God shows us his son and therefore shows us himself through the word by the spirit, this is not complicated. This part I can grasp. Start reading. Do this this month. Do this this month. Take one of the gospels and start combing it for everything you can about the Son and what you see of God in the Son. Not, not the way that we normally do, that we normally read the Gospels and see the things about Jesus that show us that he's God. Look at the things that he says and the things that he does, the power that he, he displays that shows that Jesus is God. Well, that's great, but that's not what I mean. Read one of the Gospels, and keep reading it, looking for those things about the Son. What is the Son of God like? In what ways do you know him? What does that tell you? What you see in his character, in his person, what does that tell you about what God is like? Look for family resemblance in the son that tells you what the father is like. Do that with a pen or pencil in your hand, with paper, and, and jot notes, and, and talk about it with somebody. Spend time knowing the father as he's revealed himself in his word. If by the Spirit we enter into that shared relationship with Father and Son, then participate in that relationship with the Father, in the Son, by the Spirit, in prayer. If you can have relationship with your Father, then talk to your Father. Funny thing happens in the teenage years. Relationships between parents, father and mother, and children are strained because the dynamic is changing, and it's awkward, and so you don't know each other, and the parents have... It seems like in some ways haven't got a clue of what's going on with their teens during this time. And, and the teens think their parents have no idea. The parents don't get it at all about what they're going through as if they never were teenagers. Because as far as the kids know, the, the parents never were. But even if you're at that age, teens, it's harder to talk to parents. We'll start this way. Talk to your father. Talk to your father in the morning about what's going to be happening in the day, what you think might come up, what you think you might experience, who you might see, what they might say. Talk to your father about it. You know, the Psalms give us a wonderful example of somebody merely talking about what's in our hearts, sometimes when it's mixed up and confused or angry, but talking, expressing that to our father. Do that in prayer and you will be experiencing, you will be stepping into that relationship that we can have with the Father. Reading in prayer. If we experience the Father's love for us in walking in Jesus' words to us, then when you see something Jesus calls you to do, do it. Not because it will be a sin if you don't. No. Do it because I want to walk with him. I want to be with him in what he's doing in the same way that a, that a three-year-old loves to help mom or dad make the bed. Now, the three-year-old is not a huge help in making the bed, are they? No, and yet somehow mom or dad love to have them helping. 
And they love, they think they have got this. They, mom is so, mom would be helpless without them if they didn't pull this corner right. You know, there's no way this bed would ever get made. And they love to be a part of it. That's kind of an analogy of our walking with God in the things of God and what it is that God would have us step into that he is doing in the world. When you see his call to, he says, do this. That'd be hard. I don't want to do that. That's where we meet him. That's where we participate with him in following him in the things he says to do. If an essential act of Jesus is, as himself knowing God, was showing God to others, if that's where Jesus finds his greatest joy, if that's where Jesus finds his life mission fulfillment, that's where we'll find it too. That's where we'll find the best fulfillment of our humanity is in our showing others our wonderful Father. It's another place to start in prayer, isn't it? Oh, Lord, who would you help me today show the Father? One of the reasons we don't end up with the witnessing opportunities we might wish for is because we don't ask for them. We have not because we ask not. Lord, who would you give me today? And Father, when I'm with this person today, would you open up a way that I could tell them, I could show them. Maybe in some sacrificial act, a need arises that I could join with them, I could enter into, that something of you might be seen there. Our fullness and our experience of our fellowship with God will be entered into in showing him to others. Most of all, Stepping into knowing God through the Son by the Spirit is right here before it at this table. Somebody shared to me, with me after the second service that this table is something hands-on, tangible, that God has given us, that the Son ordained for us to continue in as a tangible, in our hands, on our taste buds, reminder that the Son was so personal to be taken in by us, to receive by us as part of our own person. So close our relationship with him in his humanity given for us.